You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Good morning, church. We're back in the book of 1 Samuel. And the title of our lesson is A God-Fearing People. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. You know, we've uh, been studying out the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, if you're visiting with us today. And uh, we, we just believe in the entire Bible. We, we don't just believe in the New Testament. And of course, where the New Testament supersedes the Old Testament, that's where we fall in submission right there. But we believe in the entire Bible. Are you with me here? We believe that Jesus Christ lived on this earth as a man that had no sin, that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. We believe in Jesus Christ. We don't believe in any other God other than Jesus Christ. We believe that he rose and as we are baptized into Christ, we will rise with Jesus right there to live a new life. Are you with me here? And we believe a principle that the Israelites, dare we say the Old Testament Christians, did not believe. We believe that the Bible teaches that it is the fear of God that will keep you from sinning. How do we know that? Because in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 20, when Moses was leading God's people, he tells God's people, he says, don't be afraid. God has come to test you in order that the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. And the church said, Amen. notice in the Bible, it never talks about the love of God keeping you from sinning. Never talks about the encouragement of God keeps you from sinning. Never talks about the blessings of God will make you so grateful you'll stop sinning. And this is so motivating for us because we understand to fear God is to show respect, honor, not to be an unholy fear as the Israelites were in Exodus 20, verse 20. See, the Bible says there's an unholy fear you can have of God, a fear that is not of God, a satanic fear like he's out to harm you. But we know Jeremiah 29 says God has plans to what? Plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and what? And that's what God's plan is for God's people. Are you with me right here? We've got to be a God-fearing people. Point number one, what has happened to the fear of God? What has happened to the fear of God? Of course, we, we remember, just for those that may have forgotten to study out First and Second Samuel, we remember, yes, surely not. We fear God. We remember some of the things that we talked about in chapter 11. Of course, God's people stopped fearing him. They stopped being a God-fearing people, and they started to want to be like all the other nations. They wanted that, dare we say, Burger King Christianity. And you know how Burger King teaches, have it your way. But of course, Burger King is now teaching, have your way. You can just have your way. Yet as a Christian, as a disciple, you can't have your way. You got to have God's way. They lost their fear of God. They chose a king, even though Jesus was their king. And we understand that anytime you choose a king, someone to lord over you who is not Jesus, you are in trouble. Job can be king. People can be king. There can be all these other kings, these counterfeit gods, dare we say. But that's what the people did. And yet Saul, and well, God in his grace, gave Saul, dare we say, some moments of brilliance. And his, dare we say, probably his finest hour was when the men of Jabesh Gilead said the enemies are coming against us. Saul preached that hardline sermon, which unified the church. You remember that right there? He, he, he cut up all those pieces of animals and sent them to people and said, that's what's going to be done to you if you mess with the Christians. And, 
And all the Christians were like, wow, this is an intense God. And the Bible says they turned out as one man. And we remember that it takes strong preaching to pull God's people together. And, and they came together and they had victory. But, but then Saul and his deterioration, his pride began to increase and increase. And sadly, he stopped being a God-fearing man and God's people stopped being God-fearing. The encouragement came because Samuel, the last judge, continued to be a God-fearing man. And Samuel gives his, his, his last address to the people. The last thing he would really say to them to try and motivate them to, to, to fear God. And, and he gives his farewell speech and, and he asks everybody, hey, have I done anything that, that, that have, I hurt, have I harmed you? Have I messed up? Have, have, I, have I stolen? Have I done anything wrong? And the people were so convicted at his example, they said nothing. And, and Samuel goes, oh, okay, you have nothing to say. I got something to say to you. <laughs> See, God has always got something to say to you from a man who fears God. And we pick it up in verse 6, chapter 12. Then Samuel said to the people, it's the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your forefathers out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I'm going to confront you with the evidence before the Lord to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your fathers. And we, we're excited about the righteousness that God has shown us, especially the fact that we got a little sunlight this weekend, right? Yeah. Hopefully you're excited about that. <laughs> it says this, verse 8, after Jacob entered Egypt, they cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought forefathers out of Egypt and settled them in his place. But they forgot the Lord, their God. So he sold them into the hands of Caesarea, the commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines and King Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, we've sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals, the asterisk. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we'll serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak, Jephna, Samuel. He delivered you from the hands of enemies on every side so that you live securely. But when you saw that Naash, king of Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now there's your king you have chosen, the one you, you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. You know, one of the scariest things that God can do is he can give you what you want instead of what you need. You said, this is what I want. God goes, okay, you don't want me? Here, here's, here's what you want. And that which you want can be that which God uses to disciple and correct you. I think about my life before I become a Christian. I think about all the impurity, all the relationships. I was in multiple relationships. I want her. I want her. I want her. And God says, oh, you can have her. You can have her. You can have her. You can also have an STD. See, MTV won't tell you that part of the story. And, 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 and just all the things I wanted became the very things that truly convicted me of my, my evil, my, my selfishness, and my need for God. It wasn't just that I, I should become a Christian. No, I need God. Are you with me here? There became a need for God because there were things that I wanted that I didn't need. And God used them to disciple me. Verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him, don't rebel against his commands. And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, your God getting good. But if you don't obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your fathers. I mean, that was true back then. That's true nowadays. You've got to fear God and obey his commands. See, you, 
you know someone who's not obeying the commands of God when they get, dare we say, man-focused when they hear them. This was a weakness of mine. When, when the Bible was read to me, and the Bible says, listen, you've got to give up everything to be a Christian. I, I would come back with, oh, that's what you guys say. And they was, we didn't write the Bible. That's what the Bible teaches. And so you, you were, you're able to start seeing that I, I was seeing man and not God because I didn't want to obey the commands of God. They are commands of God. They're not commands of man. Are you with me here? Samuel caused him to obey these commands. Verse 16, stand still. See this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. It is not wheat harvest now. I will call upon the Lord, send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called upon the Lord. At the same day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and Samuel. See, right here, you see God's people not only having, dare we say, an awe of God, but an awe of the leader of God. People said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for the servants that we will not die. We have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Don't be afraid, Samuel replied. You've done all this evil, yet don't turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. I mean, if there's one thing that can get you, dare we say, uh, just emotional, is when you see your need for God and you get so down on yourself, you go, I guess I'm going to give up. You ever done that? You see your weakness and you go, I just, I can't, I can't be this. I remember someone said, hey, I can't be like the members of your church. They're so holy. <laughs> Hang around with us for about another 15 or 20 minutes. We need God. We've got issues. Verse 21. Don't turn away from, don't turn away after useless idols. They can do no good, nor can they rescue you because they're useless. For the sake of the great name of the Lord, will you not reject, will you not reject his people? Because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against you by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way the Lord, I teach you the way that is good and right. But sure, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. And the church said, isn't that awesome? His farewell address was fear God and obey him. His farewell address wasn't love God and be encouraged and ah, the love of God. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You're stupendous. You're incredible. You're beautiful people. Oh, no, it was you need to fear God. You need to respect God. You need to honor God. And then you got to obey him. Are you with me here? And yet. For me, I, I started looking in my own life. Prayerfully, you look in your own life, even this morning, and ask yourself, does the fear of God motivate you? I have a little daughter named Mia Grace. You may have seen her. She is full of things to say and full of energy. And, yeah, she's full of wit. Uh, my wife is very smart. I think she gets it from her. Um, I'm glad you know that. And, you know, my, my, my daughter's incredible. Uh, because she, she's figured out certain things in, in, in the home right there. And she knows when she's going to get in trouble and when she's not. And, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, because of the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade men. Then later on it says, for Christ's love compels us. And yet you can hear taught, well, you know, we can't serve a God who's just all about the fear of him. But I put before you, it is the fear of God that leads to the love of God. 
with my daughter, even it's seen in something small. She, she knows that if she does that, which is bad, she's going to get a pow pow. That's what she calls it, pow pow. She's so smart, she's now recognizing when her older brother needs a pow pow. And so I was scolding my son. I said, Michael, you can't do that. You've got to be a young man. You can't do that. And Mia goes, Daddy, pow pow. <laughs> Michael's not going to get a pow pow, Mia. Just a pow pow. And she walks off muttering, pow pow. I think she's a pow pow. She's only two years old. She's got it. When you mess up, you're going to get a pow pow. And yet, as disciples, we know when we mess up, hey, there's got to be that motivation we can get a pow pow. Now, I think as older, she gets older, she's going to understand that as a father, my, my heart is to protect her, to love her. And this isn't a pow pow, we say done out of anger, but I want to protect her and help her understand there are consequences for doing that which is wrong. And over the course of time, she will get older and go, wow, my father loved me. But it isn't the love of dad that stops her from sin. She doesn't go, wow, my dad. She's only two. She doesn't understand the depth of my love for her. She doesn't understand that I'll die for her. She doesn't understand how much I love her. That's my little angel. That's my little girl. She, she doesn't understand. She has no idea. But she understands the fear. <laughs> she understands pow, pow. Very, she even tells my pow, pow. This is the God we serve. We have absolutely no understanding of how much he loves us. And the, the knowledge of the fear of God starts, hey, or the knowledge of God starts when we begin to fear him as God's people. Questions got to be asked again. Hey, what has happened to the fear of God over the course of history? These stats and facts that I'm going to share with you are not in a chronological order. They're coming from a book I've been reading called Fearing God by a, a guy named Robert uh, Moray. It's a great book. Uh, and he really, his main, his main argument is what's happened to the fear of God? Where's it gone? Why is it not motivating politicians? Why is it not motivating people from all around the world? Why is it not motivating manly men, godly men, who will stand up and die for Jesus Christ, not the jihad? What, what, where, where are these guys at? They're out there. And that's his argument. And there are various things that he points out, and there's some things that, I, that I, I started writing down. And one of the things that highlights where the fear of God has gone over the course of history uh, that he highlights in his book is during the uh, 18th and the 19th uh, century, the Industrial Revolution. So what happened with the Industrial Revolution? Well, the Industrial Revolution dismantled the fear of God because people went from living in small villages and going to church every weekend to living in the city and going to work. You hear it nowadays. Can you come to church? No, I got to go to work. Can you have a Bible study? I got to go to work. That's my king. It's dismantled the fear of God. Darwinism. Darwinism has really hurt the fear of God. The theory of evolution gave people the right to live how you want to live, do what you want to do. No need to fear God. Darwinism led to Marxism, which led to Nazism. It led to Nazism. I'm sure we know all this stuff. Charles Darwin believed non-European races were inferior to Europeans. That's what he believed. Hitler and many leading Nazis quote Darwinism in all their writings as their influence to change the world and stop people from fearing Jesus Christ. Liberalism. 
preaching, dare we say, what I call cheap grace or grandpa God. You say, well, what's grandpa God? Well, you think about grandpa. Grandpa's only got a few years to live. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, my grandpa's a little bit different, but my grandpa, you get a spanking and you've heard those stories. But grandpa, when you mess up or grandma, when you mess up, grandma, just come here, give me a kiss. You get a cookie, you, you, you do something bad, you get another cookie. <laughs> you do something terrible, you get another cookie. You just, it's just, that's grandpa. But when you do something bad and father is around, you don't get a cookie. You get a pow-pow. <laughs> you get a pow-pow. Yet liberals taught, hey, you cannot serve a God that would send people to hell. You've heard it nowadays. I don't want to serve a God that would send people to hell. Well, first of all, biblically, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, the Bible teaches that God did not prepare hell for any of his people, any of his, his disciples. The Bible teaches it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Going to hell is not the choice of God. You earn it by your refusal to obey the scriptures. It even teaches in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 14 that hell is getting bigger and bigger because more and more people are losing the fear of God. And yet liberals teach that hell is just an empty threat. And that's not an empty threat for the unsaved. Feminizing God. That's killed the fear of God. Feminizing God. Again, this was 19th century stuff. Uh, there was a movement called the New Thought Movement that became the New Age Movement uh, over the course of time. And teachers in seminaries across the world taught that God is, again, this big old blob of love, this big amoeba of love. Whatever you do, God loves you. Whatever you do, God loves you. Whatever you do, God loves you. God loves you. You look at pornography, well, God loves you. Cheat on your wife, well, God loves you. What you need love, love, love. Just God is just, just, he's just this big old blob of love. You had people like Mary Baker Eddy, or Mary, Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, who said, we got to stop calling him Father God. And we got to start calling him Mother God. And she taught that Jesus is not king. Now, as a church, let me, let me just make sure we're very clear. We believe in the feminine attributes of God and the masculine attributes of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God says that God has made them both male and female. So, so the awesome feminine attributes of God, the love, the mercy, the, I mean, most, most sisters are more loving than us brothers, okay, right? Let's just be honest. The love, the, the kindness, the compassion. I mean, I always tell people, I say, if you put up with me, you'll really like me when you meet my wife. <laughs> because she, she's just such, such an compassionate, loving woman. She's awesome. But, but God is not only loving and merciful and compassionate. God is holy. God gets angry. At the evil that's in this world. He hates racism. That's why I'm glad it's not in the kingdom of God. He hates selfishness. He hates it. He hates sin. He doesn't just have a kind of a pity pat thing against it. He hates it. God is a God of judgment and God is a God of wrath. That, that is the full picture of God. We can't feminize him. He's got to be God. And yet you had a lot of feminizing of God that really stopped people from fearing him. In a, in a biblical manner, in a way that would produce a, an obedience to him. Right. And, and, and Jesus was said as more of a feminine man, dare we say not somebody who could command the attention of real men. You started seeing pictures of, of Jesus, blonde hair, blue eye, just kind of this kind of little Jesus, just little kind of effeminate Jesus. You know, just, just kind of, I mean, almost, almost like a woman. 
some of the paintings. If you, you actually go back and look at some of the early paintings in the 19th century, uh, and I look at these, I go, that is not somebody who can uh, survive 40 days in a wilderness. That picture. That, that dude is... There's absolutely nothing to fear about a God that looks like that. That is the guy I'm supposed to... That doesn't get me fired up. See what I mean? But there was a feminizing of God. As a result, God was kind of reduced to something only for the women and the kids. You got that nowadays. You go out and talk to a man and go, well, yeah, that'd be good for my wife. No, it'd be good for you, dude. It'd be good for my kids. No, it'd be good for you. You're the father of your kids. God is for men. Men who wanted to be policemen, soldiers were told, you cannot join the army and be a Christian. This is actually truth. This is history. You can't, you can't be a Christian and be in a police. You can't, you can't do that. Jesus is about love, not about killing the enemy. Many police departments were run by the Roman Catholics and Protestant communities. And they told the men to stop it. Quit being men. As a result, you had a lot of men stop going to church. Feminizing the preachers. That was the next thing that really stole the fear of God. Of course, before the feminization of Christianity, pastors were, 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 these, were, these, were these were men, men's men. Are you with me here? They, they, were, they were men of God. They, they were judges. They were mayors. They were hunters. They were, they were willing to die for, for God and their, their country, their people, their church. They're, these were the kind of men that God was using. I think about Swiss reformer Swingley. He died in battle after leading his people from an invading army, army and he was a preacher. I think about Oliver Cromwell, John Owens. Uh, in America, you had the American Revolution. Uh, most of the people in the American Revolution that were in the pulpits, these were preachers that joined the army to die for revolution. These were men. You had soldiers. There was one story of a soldier, uh, a pastor in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. He preaches a sermon, and after he's done preaching a sermon about loving God, he opens up his robe, and he's got his military outfit on. And as legend says, legend has it, all the men in the church stood up and went, into, went, went to battle with him. They went to battle with him. They said, well, that, that's kind of, I'll follow that man right there. And they went to battle. Pastors at, that, at this time were arrested for showing up at abortion rallies saying it's wrong. Men said it's wrong. And yet even just recently, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Coca-Cola are among 379 companies that have just filed a brief uh, case in support of gay marriage. That's just recently. What has happened to the fear of God? What's happened? The other thing that's killed the fear of God is mega churches with mega preachers making mega money. Yeah. Mega churches. Reducing the church down to making money. Creflo Dollar. Funny name. Interesting name. You know, there was a case against him. I, I don't know him. I know what he teaches. It's not from the Bible. And yet the case against him that was arguing about his personal life, which I will not speak upon, I don't know, was interesting because then they showed him on the media leaving the, 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 the prison from being falsely accused of whatever it was. He left in his humongous Mercedes Benz with this entourage and it was his car. I go, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. <laughs> the preacher leaving in a huge Mercedes with a fleet of other Mercedes driving. You can follow me, I got an oyster card. Sometimes I ain't got enough money on it. I'm just waiting for a brother to take me home after church. I'm like, guys, can, 
Hold on, somebody can somebody take me home? <laughs> Benny Hinn, he believes in necromancy, that people can rise from the dead, and he can talk to them. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, well, Saul, he was somebody who, in First Sammy, he was somebody who was brought up a dead spirit, and he ended up being weird. That's exactly what happens when you fall away. You just end up being weird. Weird excuses. Weird reasons for don't want to come to church. Weird things you see in the church. Weirdness. If you look at anybody who stops wanting to be a disciple or who doesn't want, there's a weirdness there. It gets weird. It's just like, it's sin that's in between the relationship, but it gets weird. You know what I mean? And that's what happened with Saul. He got weird. The more and more he stopped being a man of God, he got weird. I think of myself, even when I'm not doing spiritual, I get weird. Michelle, Michelle's like, you, she looks at me sometimes and uh, you had a quiet time? <laughs> now we don't even debate about it. I just could see the weird look she gives me. That tells me I'm probably weird, so I leave the house and go pray. Come back and have some, re you know, make a preacher. Joel Olstein, you know what he teaches? He tells you homosexuals will go to heaven. He tells you, yep, he believes that. Yep. He tells you that Muslims will go to heaven. Yep. Yep, we do not believe that. There's only one God. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is not Allah. Joel Osteen will tell you, you go to heaven now. False preacher. You know what else is stolen? The, the fear of God? Wick, flat out wickedness. Sin. Just straight up sin. You know what they teach at Harvard? Harvard is now having a club that supports sadomasochism. One of the top learning institutions. That, that they teach that. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture. That's what we live in. Everything has got some kind of sexual innuendo to it. It's sad. The fear of God is being. You know the movie Exodus? You know the producers of that movie? They were atheists. They were atheists. Ridley Scott, self-proclaimed atheist. His goal was trying to influence people his views without doing it by saying he's an atheist. Now you got the enemies of God using principles of God to get you to believe in what they believe. And when you get it, you look at the movie Exodus, it's very ambiguous, not really, it's very, there are options out there. You don't have to be so fanatical about Jesus and be so, it's very, very deceitful. The movie Noah was shot by another, that, the guy that shot the movie Noah? That movie made me, I almost sinned watching that movie. <laughs> Two minutes into it, and they started showing aliens, and all, I go, okay, I, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ha I got an attitude here. I gotta go pray. What's wrong? He actually brags about this film being the most unbiblical film ever produced. He actually brags about it. The increase of wickedness, 50 shades of gray. The increase kills the fear of God. And the one that I think is huge is the cult of happiness. We, we live in the cult of happiness. If it doesn't make you happy, then it must be wrong. Everything's got to make us happy. We're so prone to happiness. I mean, I, I, I look at myself, I, I, I just go, I mean, I get an attitude when the webpage doesn't turn up fast enough. God, seven seconds, I can't believe what's wrong with this thing. Still, I'm gonna call Sky right now. What's wrong with you guys? I paid my bill, and why didn't you get my webpage right here? I can't believe the world we live in. 
We just want to be so happy. What's the point? The fear of God has been dismantled. Do you fear God? I'll ask you a serious question. Do you actually respect and fear? Does the fear of God keep you from sinning? And we know the Bible teaches when you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin. You know you ought to become a disciple, but you don't do it. You want to think about it like I did. I thought about it forever. And the longer I thought, the more sin I got into. Because the Bible says debauchery, overthinking, over trying to, trying to humanize the principles of God. We have no idea what God means in this. All we got to do is obey God and fear God. He makes it very simple. We've got to fear God. This generation, in my opinion, needs to be scared into heaven before they're loved into hell. That, that, that's the problem. That's the problem. And that, that, that's okay to go, you know what? Listen, I fear my kids. I fear my own life. I, I want to be a woman of God. Let me tell you something. This is the guiding principle for many of our churches to really fear God and live their lives accordingly. I look at what's going on in, our, in, in Russia. We just planted a church in Russia, guys. 50 sold out disciples. You know how many they had at their inaugural service? 227. Isn't that awesome? Because they fear God. The first 28 days of the church that we have in Russia, they have had 17 additions to the church. Of course, the Central and South America Conference we just had down in, the, uh, you know, in, the South, in South America there in Chile, uh, at that particular, so they had 322 out at that conference. And in Los Angeles, of course, our church in L.A., they, in 59 days, they've had 91 additions to the church. In 59 days, preaching that we've got to fear God. Does the fear of God keep you from sinning? Chapter 13, you guys still with me here? Number two, partial obedience is complete disobedience. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. We pick it up in chapter 13. Uh, Saul has about 3,000 men that are ready to go to, to, to battle. Sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? It's not. Because even though he has 3,000 men, this is huge reduction in the amount of men that he had when he got that victory at Jabesh Gilead. They had 300,000. So now he's gone from 300,000 men that he's rallied to 3,000. God gathers and God scatters. The work of God is to gather people. The work of Satan is to scatter people. And yet we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 7. You guys still with me here? It says this. Some Hebrews crossed over to the, to, the, to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops were with him were quaking with fear. I mean, that, that'd be, I, mean I, I can imagine right now. So Saul's one of those preachers he didn't... I could offend someone. I know. Guys, guys, just don't, don't, don't be too fanatical. And everybody's just quaking. With, the Bible says quaking. I don't know. I mean, they're all just afraid to show their. Oh, I'm, I'm on the tube right here. I don't know what people will say if I open my Bible. You know, you want to just try it. Open your Bible on the tube. Yeah. Yeah. Just try it. Just open it up. <laughs> it's like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
I do. I love it. Mm, people. Ooh, 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 mm, keeps the devil away from you. It's awesome. I opened it this morning. I saw these two young ladies. I was going to share with them, and they were dressed very worldly. I said, okay, well, let me just open my box. Mm, they just went away from me. I said, okay, amen, amen, amen. I don't want to be quaking with fear. Verse 8 says, he waited seven days. The time set by Samuel. Of course, this is the whole principle of patience. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and a fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Hold on. Saul's not the priest. Only the priest can do that. Saul got out of his role. See, when you get out of your role, it's because you don't fear God. If you're a man who wants to live as the, dare we say, the woman of the house, you're outside of your role. You got to be the man of the house. If you're a woman who wants to be the man of the house, we'll leave it right there. (laughs) Got to stay in your role. If you're single, you got you, God wants you to be a single, sold-out disciple. He doesn't want you to be married yet. You, you haven't learned to love him enough. Stay in your role. It's okay. He's going to give you that wife, that husband. And then those of you that have learned the lessons, it's time for you to get married. Stop trying to stay single. Get married. Quit it. Get in your role. Verse 9. Or verse 10. Says justice as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel? Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering, see, he's living by sight, not by faith. And that you did not come at the set time. Now he's critical of the leadership, but that's your fault, the leadership. And the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Now he's blaming the enemies of God. I thought, now he's living by thought, not by the word of God. (laughs) Philistines have come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the Lord's favor. Now he's got what I call crisis repentance. You see it all the time. Okay, my life is in shambles. Okay, I guess I need God now. Husband left me. Okay, I guess now it's time to come to church. All that nagging ran him off. Yep. Now it's time to become a relationship with God. Single mom now. Okay, I guess I need Jesus now. On my way to jail. Uh-oh. Can, can, we, can, can we get together and talk about Jesus now, Pastor? Can I, I want to talk? Crisis repentance isn't the best way to live your life. You've got to just love God. Don't wait for the crisis. That's Saul here. Crisis now. He's, he's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Last thing on his heart is God. It's the last thing, not the first thing. You see that? And I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burden. Oh, now he's living by feelings. The heart is deceitful and beyond cure. Your feelings will get you in trouble. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, appointed him leader of the people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin. And Saul counted the... After discipleship time, look at what he does. Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. After the discipling of God, Samuel, he's still, okay, I got How many men do I got? Less, 600. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. I'm sure Saul knew the story of Gideon. 
I'm sure he did. He was Jewish. I'm sure he, he remembered Gideon who could, who overcame the enemy with 300, less than 600. Um, difference between Gideon and Saul is Gideon feared God. And he trusted God. Saul disobeyed God and was punished by God. The real issue I look at this is wasn't, it really wasn't the size of his army, it was the size of his faith. I put before you, it's the size of your faith that wins battles. How great is the God you serve? How, great, how, how, how big is the God? How majestic is your God? Saul lost faith here and he had a partial obedience. And we'll see that even play out a little bit later on. But partial obedience is complete disobedience. We've got to be totally obedient to the word of God. Read another book. Hopefully you're reading books out there to add to your faith. This is by a man named Stanley Harwas. His book is entitled Resident Aliens. And he's talking about, not aliens, guys. Don't worry. Uh, he's talking about us as, as resident aliens in this world. He says something very powerful. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, especially living in London, you know, you get a chance to share your faith with me. A lot of people say, I don't believe in God or atheism and these types of things. You start to think atheism is the biggest enemy. He said this. He said, the greatest enemy of Christianity is not atheism, but sentimentality. Christians who are afraid to lay it on out. In love. In love. Sentimentality is because you do not fear God. Says this here, this is very powerful. Because we think when we're being sentimental, we're kind of protecting God or his people. I don't want to be so, I'm protecting God. Right. Or I'm protecting people for God. He says this, he says, never think you need to protect God. Because anytime you think you need to protect God, you can be sure you're worshiping an idol. Can't get Christ without the cross. Partial obedience, complete disobedience. Chapter 14. Chapter 14. We've got to be completely obedient to the word of God and his commands. Of course, right here, we have Jonathan right here. Jonathan was awesome. He was Saul's son. And, and Jonathan began to form an attack against the enemy. See, faith attacks. Jonathan is in the church and things aren't going so awesome, but he's still got his faith in God, not the king, his, his father, and he attacks. And, and we pick it up in chapter 14 and verse 6, but our next point is just simply, I can, I will, I must. With God, I can, I will, and I must. Let's say that together. With God, I can, I will. I must. Let's say it like we mean it now. I can, I will, I must. That, that's the heart of Jonathan. I can overcome anything with God. I will overcome anything with God. I must overcome everything with God. I can, I will, I must. This has got to be our spirit as Christians. I can. I can get through this. I can get through this, whatever it is. I will, I will get through this. Whatever it is, whatever you're going through, I will get through this. Pain will last a week, it may last a, a year, it may last a, an hour, but eventually 
it will subside and something else will take its place. Something else will take its place. We, we've got to be, Jonathan's spirit is, is, is I will. And then lastly, I must. He says nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his, his young armor bearer, <laughs> come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Isn't that awesome? Just send chills down your spine if you were, you were there and you got Everybody else is quaking with fear. But Jonathan looks at them and goes, nothing can hinder the Lord. From, whether by many or by few. And the armor bearer is just like, dude, this guy's crazy. Whoa, this, this is intense. And then the armor bearer says this. Do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I'm with you heart and soul. You know, there's something, when, there's something special about someone who's with you heart and soul. They're with you from the heart. There's a heart connection there. I, I, I love I love Yuri Zykov. Yuri Yuri is European, German, Russian. Me and him are as opposite as ebony and ivory. But I tell you one thing, I feel that he is with me, heart and soul. That this this man this is a young man of God. Heart and soul. Amen. Yummy Bella. Got to get him married, but. <laughs> he, he, he is with me, heart and soul. Victor Coma. This, this guy is incredible. He's just grown and grown and grown and grown. He's with me, heart and soul. I think about the sisters in the church. I think about Kia Pope. She's with me a little more like a sister, heart and soul. That's Kia. She's with me, heart and soul. Like that. I think about Maria Hart. She, she, she's with me. And if I'm not doing well, she's, she's looking at my, she's looking. She's like, I want to make sure you, she's making sure. And I, I, the fear of God is like, okay, I got to do well. I got to take care of my sister. I got to do awesome for God. Are we with one another, heart and soul? From the heart. Church is from the heart. We come because we want to be with one another. Not to tick a box. We got to be with one another heart. And so people got to feel it when they come in. They go, you guys are together. This isn't a religious meeting. You, get, you leave and go get your kebab right, right after church. You guys are together. Heart and soul. That's the spirit of this armor bearer. Verse 8. Jonathan said, come then. We'll cross over towards... The men, and let them see us. If they say to us, wait here, we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because they will be a sign that the Lord has given them into your hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine apples. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the apples shouted to Jonathan and his armor, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Let's see if they get discouraged. So Jonathan said to his armor, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hand, into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using hands and feet. He is 
totally trusting his armor bearer. Total trust. See, don't tell me your heart and soul if you don't trust. If you don't trust, we don't trust one another in discipling relationships, what we're doing as a movement. There's, we're not with each other heart and soul. Jonathan is like, you got my back, dude. Hands and feet. He could have got attacked or shot. No protection. He trusted the armor bearer had his back. You know, we just had a, a, a great a great conversation. I had a great conversation with, dare we say, one of my young armor bearers, <laughs> Yuri Zykov. Yuri says, bro, we're studying the Bible with, with a young man, but I, 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 there's some things we got to work on. Don't know if he's ready for baptism. I go, Yuri, you're with me heart and soul. Tell me what we need to do. I know you got my back. You're in that battle. Sort it on out. And I trusted God. And I believe it was awesome for me and for Yuri. I think it connected us, but it taught a principle that we got we to gotta trust one another. Of course, it was awesome because this morning, Yuri looked me now. He goes, Kari wants to be baptized today. And Kari's getting baptized today right there. <laughs> Kari's got a voice that's going to change our worship service. We've got to trust one another. It says this. The Philistines, in verse 13, says, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about a half an acre. And we stop right there. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. They, they just win the battle. They say, I can, I will, I must. And of course... There's an incredible victory for God's people followed after that because Saul and the army, they rushed down and took people out. But the interesting thing about Saul is, is, is there's some, there some weaknesses. Number one, you look at chapter, if you look at chapter 14 in, in the beginning, uh, it just says, in verse 1 it says, One day Jonathan, is, Jonathan son of Saul, said to the young uh, man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost. Right? I don't think Saul knew about it. I don't think Saul knew about it. He's too busy quaking with fear. Highlighting, he wasn't really talking to his, talking to his, his guys. Wasn't really in there with him. We've got to have relationships. Relationships. Look at Leviticus chapter 26. Look at this awesome insight. I think Jonathan had the word of God on his heart as well. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 7. Says you will pursue your enemies. They'll fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase 10,000. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you have to move out. When you have to move it out to make room for the new, I'll put my dwelling place among you. I'll not abhor you. I'll walk among you. Be your God. You will be my people. I, I, I think that scripture was on Jonathan's heart. I think he said, well, I got two, but the scriptures say, hey, we, we got enough to, to win a decisive victory right here. We got enough. Do you believe we got enough to evangelize all of Europe? You believe we got enough to do that right there? You, th you, think, you think we got enough faith to raise the funds to plant the Stockholm mission team this year, guys? I think we got enough. You think we got enough to get to, to
to Amsterdam. You think we got enough to get to Madrid, Spain? Como estas? Think we got enough to get to Berlin? We got to get to all of Europe, guys. We got to believe that we have enough. Question for you, are you an armor bearer? Armor bearer says, do all you have in mind. To be an armor bearer, you've got to be emotionally strong. He was emotionally strong. He says, do all you have in mind. That meant what he had in mind was going to be considered. Takes trust. Takes an emotional strength from your relationship with God to be an armor bearer. He was nameless. You don't even know who he is. It's just called the armor bearer. Armor bearer. How'd you like that? Who did it? The armor bearer. <laughs> we love our name. That's why we all have Facebooks. Right? Most of us have Facebooks, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Update our status. And do this stuff like that. Yeah. We like our name called. He was nameless. A true armor bearer needs no public recognition. He wanted his leader to look awesome. He's like, I want, I want Jonathan to... And he was just with him, heart and soul. If someone tells you, you'd be a better leader than your leader. Tell them, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. That was told to me. Bro, you, you'd be better. I said, get behind me, Satan. I'm with my leader, heart and soul. Amen. Heart and soul. Amen. Chapter 15, let's bring it in for a close. Let's hit our last one. Selective obedience, which is sentimentality. Selective obedience. Chapter 15 says this here. Samuel said to Saul, this is where Saul comes to his, <laughs> he's coming to a crash here. Says, I'm the one the Lord has sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen, to, listen now to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for the, what they did to Israel when they waylaid them. They came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Do we serve a God who is holy? This is a, we've got for a moment, you go, he says, even the little babies need to die. Why? Because God is saying, hey, you can't even allow a little bitty, tiny, little infant sin to kind of exist. Little baby sin. <laughs> cute, little, cute little baby sin. Then it grows up. And it's not a baby anymore. And it can take you out. God is saying, sentimentality is not in the heart of people who fear God. That's what God is communicating here. Sentimentality is not in the heart of people who actually love and fear God. We've just got to let the scriptures really be clear. He's saying no sentimentality. I mean, we, we don't believe in sentimentality. I mean, after all, if someone abuses children, we don't go, well, you know, it's just a little baby, you know. They just raped that little 16-year-old girl and cut her pieces up. I mean, yeah, let's just be loving. No, we go, justice needs to be served. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worship God if he wasn't just. I wouldn't worship God if he wasn't holy. I wouldn't worship God if he didn't really deal in a just manner. Are you with me here? And this is the God we've got to worship. 
He says there's no sin in mentality. Verse 4. So Saul summoned them in and mustered them at Telem. 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went into the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. I mean, he's smart. This guy, it wasn't like he didn't have the, the smarts. Then he said to the Kenites, go away. Leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For they showed kindness to all Israelites when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of, the, of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And all the people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. This they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved. I made Saul king. He has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. I mean, all night prayer. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul is going to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said to him, the Lord bless you. Amen, bro. Hey, hey, good to see you. I carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ear? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers, look at the blame shifting, brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop. Samuel said to Saul, and that's what it means to repent. Stop. You ever felt like, well, I'm repenting? No, no. Repenting isn't in the Bible. It says, yeah, it says repent. Stop. You just stop sinning. Say, I'm, I'm done. I'm not getting drunk anymore. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to worship false religion anymore. I'm not going to believe babies go to heaven, even though, because it's not in the Bible. I, I know I've been taught that all my life. I'm going to stop believing it. I'm not going to believe in miracles of people falling around and doing all these things, because that's unbiblical if you actually look at it in context in the scriptures. I'm going to stop believing this stuff. I'm going to stop believing in atheism. I'm going to stop believing in Allah. I'm going to stop believing I can't do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to stop. That's the same. He's like, just stop. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, become the head of tribes of Israel, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. Sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people. The Malachites make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on a plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord. Saul said, I went on the commission the Lord assigned. I completely destroyed the Malachites and brought Agag, brought back Agag, the king. The soldiers took the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. You got to kill cow. Samuel said, replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifices. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I don't think Saul thought, I'm going to end up worshiping the devil and, and conjuring up the witch of Endor at this moment. I don't think he was like, you know what? Okay, I am rebelling, but I'm not going to end up worshiping the devil. 
But when you rebel against the word of God, you end up worshiping the devil. No matter when you just say, I don't want to believe it's too much. I don't want to believe. I don't I, I trust me. I did it. <laughs> I did it. That's where Saul's at. Sentimentality. Selective obedience. Picking and choosing what he wanted to say. Of course, we know what Samuel did. Verse 27 says, as Samuel turned to leave, Samuel caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned. But please honor me before the, the elders of my people and before Israel come back with me. He's still man-focused. So I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him confidently, thinking surely the bitterness of death has passed. But Samuel said, as the sword is made... As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. And the church said, Whoo! No sentimentality. No sentimentality. Saul lost his credibility, changing, lying, all kinds of. I, I want to persuade you today. To allow this story to make you a man, a woman, who eradicates sentimentality from your life. I want to persuade you not to be sentiment, sentimental. I want to persuade you to, 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 sentimentality means you do not fear God. I want to persuade you to let the scriptures teach you what it means to be a true Christian. I want to persuade you to believe, to understand that it's not enough just to believe in the Bible. You got to actually apply it and it can be applied to your life. It's like the story is like the guy says, this is a guy that has this huge, he wants to teach the people a lesson. So, so he, he's kind of a jokester guy. He gets up there on this, 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 this big rock right there and he sets up this string that goes all the way across this, this huge river. And he looks down at the people and the people are down there. They're looking at him like, Ooh, they love, people love to be entertained. And he's standing up there and he goes, and he looks at him and he goes, you believe that I could walk across this tightrope and get all the way to the other side? And the people are down there and they're just going, this fool, we believe, we believe. And they're just shouting it out to him and he's up there. And so he's kind of a trickster. So he walked out there and he got to about the middle. And he goes, ooh. And the people just go, ooh. But he makes it all the way across. And so he says, do you believe I can walk all the way across with a wheelbarrow. And the people, you know, they're, they're getting excited. Now they go, we believe, we believe, we believe. So he gets a wheelbarrow and he puts the front wheel in and, he's, and he goes. And he gets right out to the middle again. And a little shimmy right there. And people go, ooh. But he makes it all the way across. And then he looks down. Now, now it's getting cultish. The people are going, we believe, we believe. He hadn't even asked them. We believe. They're just going, going. And he's quite you believe I can make it all the way across with a wheelbarrow with someone inside? And they just get going, we believe. Totally unified. We believe, we believe. And so he looks out at him and he goes, then I need a volunteer. <laughs> and no one came forward. See, you absolutely.
absolutely, totally do not believe in Jesus Christ if you rebel against the word of God. You don't believe the Bible unless you're willing to get into the wheelbarrow. You don't believe it. You've got to be willing to get into the wheelbarrow. And his commandments are not burdensome. They are, they are freedom. They're freedom. Saul here gets sentimental. And sadly, it was his end. As a church, if you're visiting for the first time, I want to persuade you to allow today to eradicate sentimentality from your life. Become a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman to be the people of God. And to God be all the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.